Good morning. How's everybody? Oh, yeah? Good. Are you feeling godly today? Yeah, two-hand godly, awesome. Or, or goddessly today. You know what I mean, it's that field of unconditional love. It's the truth of our being, and I went, I went up, I love this song so much, these words are so appropriate for my, what I was guided to share with you today, and I'm like, give me a copy of that, this is awesome. A word of praise. Oh. Let every breath I breathe be sacred. There's a way to start today. So, um, what I'm going to invite you to do, if you're willing, is to join me and we go into 30 seconds of silence. Sometimes, the, the, my, sometimes my enthusiasm takes me to another planet and then I have to let myself come back so I can figure out what I'm going to say next. So, I was able to do that. I'm going to sound this uh, chime today that uh, I brought with me. They're little Tibetan bells that have this lovely resonance. And part of what, it, what happens for us, what I know happens when we come together in a larger group, is we create a field of resonance. And it's something that is indescribable in many ways. It's something that, that, that we reveal more so than manipulate. And it is more revealed, I believe, and more potent when we're, we're peaceful and we're grounded and we're present. And so a number of the things I want to share with you today that I feel inspired to give voice to um, line up with that. So in that spirit of resonance, I'm going to invite you to just put down any concerns you have in the moment. Just let your shoulders relax. Wherever you carry your tension, wherever you stand on guard within your physical being, just breathe into it for a moment. And as I sound the chime, let's just continue to breathe into that area in a mindful way. Feel the breath come in. Feel the breath go out. The first teaching the Buddha shared was, now I'm breathing in, now I'm breathing out. Now I am breathing in, now I'm breathing out. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so in the, in the graciousness and the gratitude of allowing my words to be your words in this moment, what I'm guided to express in this moment is my awareness of the truth of our being. That there is one life. That life is the divine. It is a vibration. It is both male and female. It is the God and goddess energy. It is the creator energy. It is the source energy. It has always been and it will always be. 
And so what I know in this moment is that as we, we create this field of unconditional love, as I hear God calling beautifully, there are never any mistakes there are never any accidents. We are always divinely guided. So I know that that telephone ringing is that we are. That call is being answered even as we speak these words. I am such in, in such joy and appreciation. <sighs> what a great, great day this is. Not for any particular reason, but I declare it so. Whatever troubles me, whatever is an obstacle, whatever my, my leading edge of learning may be, I know that I have everything in this moment, as do you to move forward with the grace, the beauty, the intelligence, and the peaceful poise and passion that aligns me beautifully and wonderfully with this beautiful infinite field of possibility. Every breath I take is sacred. Every breath, for I declare it so. And this infinite divine intelligence hears this and says yes. So standing in the yes together, standing in this opportunity, this field of unconditional love, this field of opportunity, this field of joy and celebration, I give thanks. Let us know that this field continues to grow and expand for us each and every time we bring ourselves back to reminding ourselves of the vow that we have taken this day. With that said, I release these words, and together we say, and so it is. All righty, beautiful, beautiful song. Oh. Word of praise, hallelujah. So I'm going to invite you to stand up, and we're going to do a little uh, spiritual practice right now on this day of spiritual practice. Find somebody that you can interact with. You are, as you look into their eyes, you may have to triple up. It's okay if it's a threesome. Twosome, threesome. All right. So as you look into that person's eyes and say, good morning. I am looking into the face of God. Thank you for being the presence of light. The divinity within me recognizes and celebrates the divinity in you. You are equipped with everything required to share your gifts, your talents, your love, your grace, your beauty, and so it is. Alrighty. Beautiful. See, every time we interact and we exchange in a way that speaks to the truth of our being, even if you're not feeling that in the fullness. I'm going to talk about that today. There's, there's something that happens. And so sometimes we have to step into it even when we're not inspired. Because if we, if we wait till we're inspired by somebody else, I don't know about you, but I can wait a long time. So what I know is that, that, that my work many days is to, to lift myself up in my own inspiration through, through ideas and through what I expose myself to. This beautiful song, Alleluia, every breath I take. Um, that's going to be rolling through my head all day and every breath I take is sacred. It doesn't change anyone else, it changes me. And that's what I'm really interested in, not because I'm selfish, but because then I know that my interactions with everything and all of life changes. It just takes on a whole different theme and color. So, so I wanted to share with you today, uh, before I get into that, last week we, I thought we had a lovely ritual that I really, really enjoyed. And so what we started out, I'll do it really quickly because I don't want you to miss this opportunity if you weren't here. 
uh, I have the red string on my left wrist, and you can put it on whatever wrist you choose. And I think some of you do as well. But last week I brought out a great big uh, braided um, white rope with knots in it. We talked about untying the knots, which is in celebration of Mary, untire of knots, which is a sort of a phenomena that's going on in Brazil and, and Argentina specifically. And I discovered it when I, one of my trips to John of God. They have a big portrait of that in the lobby of the hotel that we stay in, this little posada. And, uh, and it always inspired me. And so I looked into that and we untied the knots last week, the, the, the knot of scarcity. It was abundance month, as uh, Charles pointed out. The, where, we're, where we're tied in some sense of scarcity or, 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 or poor health or a poor opinion of ourselves. There's not enough, I'm not enough, whatever. And we untied those knots together. And then we took a, this red string. And the red is inspired by the Buddhist tradition. Red always represents the vitality of life, the muchness of life, the love of life. And we had little scissors and invited people to cut the vows that they had taken. We untied the knots and then we cut any attachments we have to ancestors. You know, perhaps we grew up in a family where, where prosperity was not celebrated. And so in, in any way, shape, or form, what the cutting of the string represented was cutting that, that, that connection. Not in, in defiance of them, but to simply say, this is a wonderful idea that time has come to... to break that agreement and let's give it back to source to be recreated in a new way. And then what I invited people to do is take the rest of the red string and then take new knots or, or tie new knots in the vows that we take. So I take a vow of exquisite and extraordinary health, of creativity, of opportunity, of, of love, of, of, of peace here and for the world, of, of oneness for here and for the world of prosperity whatever it may be but vows because the infinite response to everything we give it so why not why not make new knots of possibility and tie them and so what the opportunity is if you're so inclined is to then tie it around your wrist and then we wear that and we wear that till it wears off so i'm going to keep my red string on there and i'm doing all my activities with that red string on but for me it's a reminder when i look down oh that's right i took a vow and it's on my wrist. I need those little tactile experiences to remind me. Other times I forget. Sometimes I get too tired, too lonely, too angry, too hungry, whatever it may be. So that was it. So what I, I want you to know is there's a red string back there for you if you're guided to this practice and really find it meaningful. And you don't have to put it on your wrist. You could tie it somewhere in your home. You could have it hanging off your, your uh, mirror in your car or wherever. Wherever you're guided to put that thing. But there's red string back there for you. And so what that brings me to today in this month of, of, of light, this season of light, and, and uh, we put some lights up um, last week, if you've noticed. And Morita came in and did some our, our, uh, our pots for us. And then we had a little spiritual practice here. I, I saw this on a magazine, and I called Mark Coleman, and Mark's on the road going to visit his sister right now. And we, we, we went down and bought a bunch of strings of lights, and we found some, some insulation board, and we... Drilled 400 holes in each sheet, and then we did a little meditation, and we pushed the little lights through. We painted it black and pushed the It was really a bargain. It was not a whole lot of money to do this. And then I, I went and found a half sheet of plywood, and I cut, a, cut out a uh, peace sign, because this is a season of peace. And then I strung the lights around that. And so this is a season of light and creativity and opportunity. And I don't know where the idea for the peace sign came. I was home, you know, as Rocky Balboa said in Rocky, it came to me while I was eating breakfast one day. So... <laughs> But there we have it, and it's just a lovely way to represent what we stand for in this, this, on this planet and in this season. And it, didn't, you know, it doesn't take a lot of money to do something creative and beautiful. You know? 
It took a little while to punch all the little holes in there, I'll tell you that. You know? And they got to be close enough together because there's only three inches between lights. We found that one out too. <laughs> but you learn stuff. So today I want to talk about the gift of resiliency uh, because resiliency is so important. Because, man, the, the world can, can sometimes just feel like it's too much, can it not? And George Bernard Shaw, wonderful thinker and writer, and he's just got all these great quotes, Irish poet and author. And he said, those who cannot change their thoughts cannot change anything. Those that cannot change their thoughts cannot change anything. Isn't this not true? Isn't that what we stand for as a movement? Change your thinking, change your life, as Wayne Dyer coined the phrase, and, and we have used in many of our, our communities. So today I want to talk about three things. Number one is the act, act the change. Number two, feel the change. And number three, speak the change. And at the end, I'm going to share four resiliency practices with you that support us in terms of acting and feeling and speaking the change. So important. So, because what we know about ourselves, we know about humanity, is we have the power to shift our minds and to really think differently. It changes the world. It changes us. It's the only thing that ever has. Steve Jobs, founder of Apple Computers, said... The ones who think they are crazy enough to change the world are the ones who do. So my question to you is, are you crazy enough? Hell yeah. There you go. <laughs> Did you say heck with an E and two L's? Okay. I remember when I said suck to my mother. I said that sucks as a kid, and that was the last time I said that in front of my mother. So I just want to let you know. That was not a good word to my mom. So I just want to pass that on in memory of my mom. Thank you for receiving that in the love and the grace that it's intended. So, because what we are is we're crazy enough to believe in the, uni the unitive field of oneness. You know, David Bohm, who is an amazing scientist, he was a contemporary of uh, Albert Einstein. And Bohm has influenced thought, that it has influenced Greg uh, Braden's work. But we know that if we separate a cell and we put one in San Francisco and we put one in New York and we, and we stimulate the cell in New York, the one in San Francisco immediately has the same response. And so what we know is cellularly, we are connected. When someone's suffering in the world, it affects all of us. And when someone is radiating a quality of the divine in the world, it, 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 it affects all of us. And I think what makes a difference for us is, is what our tendency becomes. So if our tendency is to, to slip into more of the resonance of love and oneness and goodness, then, then our propensity to have that experience is more available. This is the way it works. And so how do we do that? How do we have that experience more and more and more? Well, we come together, we sing a song, we say a prayer, we, we hear wonderful ideas. Charles, you've done a masterful job today in presiding, and I mean that. Let's give this guy a hand today. Thank you so much for... Beautiful, beautiful. And I mean that... It's extraordinary today because he was so clear about things, uh, around things that, that are happening here. And it's just so nice to hear that. And not that our other presiders don't do a great job, but it was just lovely to hear his, see his consciousness being um, articulated. So what we, believe, what we believe is the oneness of the planet. We're crazy enough to believe that we're all connected. And a lot of people say, you guys are crazy. And we can say, well, yeah, we kind of are compared to what you think. And thank you so much for sharing. And I'll be going over here now with my cup of coffee to talk to somebody else <laughs> with great love. To stop attacking one another. You know, I mean, I, to me, it's so interesting to watch people of, that claim to be of faith attack one another. 
I don't, to me it is such hypocrisy, but that's where they are, and, and I, it doesn't represent me, and I don't support it, and I'm doing everything I can, and what we're going to talk about today are those things that I can do, that I believe help mitigate and drain some of that energy, because it's just trapped energy. We shift consciousness by not engaging in the language and the behavior of separateness, not engaging in fear. So act the change. Act the change. How do we take action in our lives that helps support the change that we, we feel so strongly about? Matt Damon, actor Matt Damon, said, please find what you can do to make a difference. Simple. What can you do to make a difference? Take five minutes and educate yourself on what you didn't know before. With the internet, it's amazing. I'm so grateful for all this information that's on the internet. When I got into this business, I had to go to the library a lot. Now I go to my computer, I type in a, a search word, boom. There's an endless supply of, of articles, insights, awarenesses. David Bohm, don't know anything about David, go to Wikipedia, read all about him, go and see videos of him. I mean, it's amazing. You can immerse yourself five minutes a day. They say that if you immerse yourself in a certain a subject for five minutes a day in five years, you could be considered an expert. And I, I would not disagree with that. So learn something and then share it with someone else. Who do I do that with? Well, learn something first and then that opportunity, that door will open, I guarantee you. Zig Ziglar. Zig was a motivational speaker for years and years. I believe he passed away recently. But he said, you are what you are and you are where you are because of what has gone into your mind. Pretty simple, isn't it? You are what you are. You are where you are because of what's gone on in your mind. And the way you change who you are and where you are is by what goes, on, goes into your mind. Hmm. So what's going into your mind? What's going into my mind? So this act as if, basically what it is is you've got to fake it until you make it. You've got to fake it until you make it. So there are things that we long to experience and we're not there yet in consciousness. But what, what would it look like? What act? activity would that person that you perhaps aren't yet what would that look like and then you figure out well gee I would do this I would get up in the morning and I would do X I would do A B C act as if act as if it already is when we act as if we have the power the universe will take us at our word when we act as if we have the power I have the power to get through this. I have the power to shift and change my life. I have the power to dissolve error beliefs that I have of limitation or lack. I can untie those knots and agreements that I made with myself, that I'm, that I'm carrying with my ancestors. You know, if we've, you know, if you come from a family of horse thieves, you might be challenged with transportation in this day and age. <laughs> That's how it works, the epigenetics. <laughs> When I was in grade school, Father Nolan, was this, he was a priest from Ireland, and my mom sent, sent us to this school. And it wasn't the closest Catholic school. We had to go to the one where the Irish kids went. So it was a long drive, because we had Catholic schools that were closer, but no, no, we got to go where they have the Irish priests and the Irish, other Irish kids. I don't get it, but anyway, it was important to my mom. And Father Nolan used to sit, stand there and tell me stories of how people that he knew in the United States uh, from Ireland were people that all stole sheep from his family. So I was like, okay. So everybody that Father Nolan knew that had migrated along with his family to the United States were sheep thieves. I thought that was an interesting tidbit for a priest to be telling, you know, 10-year-old kids. But So I want to share with you a story about the, the, the carrot, the egg, or the coffee bean. 
And a woman goes to her mother one day and says, I can't do this anymore, life is overwhelming, life is too much. I can't deal with the children, I can't deal with my marriage, I can't deal with money, I can't deal with my, my, this, this anxiety that I feel. It was just overwhelming. And so her mother listened and listened and says, come on into the kitchen with me. And so her mother took into the kitchen and she said, just sit down at the table there. And her mother took out three pots and she put water in three of them. And she put them on the stove and she, she got the, the heat going on the stove and the three pots of water sat there. And, and while, before they started to boil, she put boil, she put a carrot in one pot she put an egg in one pot, and then she put a coffee bean. She put a, several coffee beans in a pot. And so they all boiled for a while, and her mother and her just sat and visited for a bit. And when the boiling was complete, she turned the heat down, and she went over, and she picked the carrot out. And she said, she said now I've turned the heat on all three of these pots. They've all been heated the same way. So look at the carrot. And she pulls the carrot out, and of course the carrot gets boiled. It just gets real wobbly and kind of doesn't have a whole lot of strength to it and goes and picks the egg out and cracks the egg open and of course it's hard boiled and then she pours a, some liquid out of the one that has the coffee beans and her and her daughter sip the coffee and she looked at her daughter and said okay so all three of these have been heated equally what are you? are you the carrot that when the heat gets turned up you go all soft and wobbly? Are you the egg when the heat gets turned up? You just harden and protect yourself from the world? Or are you the coffee beans? That the heat creates this vibrancy of aliveness, this sweetness, this something that is delicious and amazing. That that, that to recognize that that heat is a transformative agent to reveal your beauty and your grace and possibility. I love that story. So I ask myself, when am I the carrot? When am I the egg? And when am I the coffee bean? And so if we understand how the infinite intelligence works, how life is, is heating us, and it is our choice along the way to decide, hmm, I'm going to get really soft and wobbly here. I'm going to get hard as a hard-boiled egg. Or I am going to let this heat transform me so I can reveal the sweetness, the deliciousness of who I am. I just, and I love that story. I love that, absolutely. So we get to act. We get to step up in the world and say, wow, look at this. Look at this is what's happening through me and for me. And, and, and it's releasing something beautiful. So act as if. Fake it until you make it. And along the way, we get to decide what's our, our choices in all this when the heat gets turned up. Number two is to feel the change. Every great dream starts with a dreamer. Every great dream starts with a dreamer. And what those dreamers did was they, 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 um, they sat still. They were able to sit still. If you look at the life of the Buddha, the Buddha came to his awareness sitting under the Bodhi tree. Jesus sat still in the garden. He also sat still in the desert. Muhammad sat still in the cave. That's where the information was downloaded that became the Quran. But all of them practiced sitting still. The ability to anchor ourselves in ourselves wherever we are. Because when we do that, when we're grounded in the truth of our being, and that's why we come together, because it's easy to forget. So when we ground ourselves in the truth of our being, we have our meditation at the early service. It's a beautiful, we create a field 
of possibility. It's a beautiful experience. Our, there's such a great intelligence in our bodies if we, if we use it well and use it with a mindfulness. And I'm going to share those resiliency practices with you um, that I, w- I invite you to take with you today. Dr. Holmes in the essential Ernest Holmes quotes on his influences, and one of them was Ralph Waldo Emerson. Emerson was an amazing thinker and uh, part of that transcendental movement that came out of the Northeast United States in the 1800s. And he said that, that Emerson said, there's one mind common to all people. And he claimed that this mind is perfect and that we have access to this mind. And we do. We all do. We've all had those intuitive hits. We've all had those, that inner knowing. And sometimes we follow it, sometimes we don't. Some, because perhaps we don't trust it. You know, perhaps it is so foreign to what we've been accustomed to, but it's there for us. Dr. Holmes writes in the Essential Ernest Holmes He says, the science with which you are to practice, which is our science, which is called the science of mind. That's our textbook. The science which you are to practice is based on the theory that there is a universal mind and an internal spirit from which all things spring. The spirit is the creator and the sustainer of all that is. You have immediate access to this divine mind, this universal principle, this creative power. Humanity has access to the great whole and draws as much power from this source as we are capable of intelligently using. We are not the power. We are the avenue through which the power flows. But see, that's okay. We don't have to generate the power. We just have to open ourselves to it. That's why I say create the field, this field of oneness, this field. And this is truly the consciousness that we are, is our opportunity to give birth to. This is what we need on this planet right now. From everyone I look at, every teacher that I see in speaking and writing now, it is the birth of this consciousness upon the planet, which is a unitive consciousness. It is truly the philosophy of oneness that we, we have an opportunity to give birth to. And, it, it, and we are at a point, I think we're at a critical point in our evolution as a people. And it's happening. It's happening. And you and I either participate in it or we don't. Dr. Holmes said, no greater good can come to you than to know the power already within you is the power to live and the power to create. And not only to create for yourself, but to create for others as well. So how do we create that feeling tone within ourselves? What what shifts can take place, especially when the heat gets turned on? Because it is the feeling tone upon the words of the declaration. The The third piece of this today, so it's acting as if, it is acting as if, it is feeling, the ch- feeling as if, and is speaking the change, and speaking as if. So speaking as if, Lily Ledbetter, anybody know who Lily is? Lily Ledbetter worked for Goodyear Tire for 20 years. She started in 1979, and she wrapped it up in 1998. And she was a mid-level manager for them. And when she retired, she filed a lawsuit with the powers that be, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. Because Lily was paid, um, when she started at Goodyear Tire, she was paid on the same scale as the men were paid. But towards the end of her year, as 20 years went by, and she was winding down her career with them, her pay was at $3,727 per month. Her male contemporaries, who were doing the same work, were being paid $5,236 a month. So $1,500 and change difference for the same amount of work but because she was a woman she was not paid the same way 
And so she filed a lawsuit. And she filed a lawsuit, and her bosses said to her, Lily, why are you doing this? You've got your great retirement package. Just go away. Go away. Be quiet. And she said, no, I'm not going to do that. And she filed her lawsuit, and it went up through, and it finally went to the Supreme Court. And Ruth Ginsburg, one of the Supreme Court justices, wrote an opinion on it. And the problem Lily had in terms of that the litigation was she didn't file soon enough, so she missed some of the deadlines. And so her, her lawsuit was thrown out, but Ruth Ginsburg wrote an opinion on it and said, everything that you've expressed is valid. And so a law went on the books that now requires equal pay for equal work, despite gender. But what Lily did is he, she saw it and she spoke up. And, 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 you know, once again, why did you do this? She said, you know, you're all done. Go away. Take your money and go. And she said, no. She said, because there are women, women right now doing that same work I did, and they're not being paid. And so she said, I'm taking a stand for them. And these are the ways when we have the courage to speak our word and know how important it is to speak our word. Sometimes we have to confront the status quo of, of life, but to stand in the peace to follow through with the proper challenge, uh, channels. You know, if she'd gone off and, and done something reckless to hurt someone or, or, or had lost her peace and, and passion about it, had compromised that because she be, was so filled with rage, it wouldn't have happened. But she understood what it took and she kept her eye on that and she kept working in that direction. And she was just steadfast with it. And it just speaks volumes to what our steadfastness can bring us to. When we speak our word, Dr. Holmes said, when we speak our word, we unleash a power in the universe that we cannot get back. Can't get it back. Anybody here ever been in a, a significant relationship with another person besides myself? Have you ever said anything in that relationship that you wish you hadn't? Thank you. Yeah, we got one over there that's raised their hand. One person here has done that. But we've all done that. Once we've said the word, it's out there. You can't get it back. The words that we speak have power. The words that we speak have power. Dr. Holmes wrote again in, a, in this essential Ernest Holmes, your religious outlook is to be universal. Otherwise, dogmatism, creedal ceremony, and superstition creep in. When this happens, people look for prayers which other people have prayed to make them whole. Isn't that true? How many traditions have all the prayers written out for them? See, we don't do that here. What we do is we work it with our, in our own interior being to create. You know, when I, I get up on Sunday, I could write the prayer out. But we allow and we trust because what wants to be expressed will be different by the time I get here. Dr. Holmes knew that. So the, 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 he said when we do that, we look in vain. The thought of our, our relationship to God should be direct, dynamic, and inclusive. The infinite is all-inclusive, all-embracing, all-comprehending. You will work in harmony with all religious beliefs since all seek in their different ways the final and ultimate cause, God. We're all on the same path. We, just, we, just, we have just decided that this might be a little more direct. But all of them are on the path. That's why we say we celebrate all traditions. And we do. Because not everybody is going to line up with what Dr. Ernest Holmes had to say. And that's Okay. You know, I say to people many times that come and visit, they'll come and visit one time and I'll say, thank you for checking us out. And we know that this could be a good fit for you and if it's not, we celebrate you. Thank you for being on the, the journey and doing the inquiry. We're, we, don't, we don't have, we don't claim to have everyone's answer. 
We're just one way of approaching spirituality that for me makes complete sense. I know that if I didn't have the domestication I had as a young boy, I wouldn't be here with you. But I just knew that this is, there's got to be something more interesting. So to act as if we fake it till we make it. We fake it till we make it. And to, and to feel as if. How do we create that feeling tone? And then to speak, to watch our words. Does this line up with what I want to be? Does this line up with the prayers I've taken and the knots, the new vows I've taken with who and what I intend to be? So I have four resiliency practices I want to share with you today that I think can be very simple and practical. But resiliency, and they all, they all lend themselves to identification and grounding ourselves in our being. See, if we're not home in our own bodies, and, and, and so if you can't sense when you're abdicating your beingness, when you have to give up part of who you are energetically to be in a relationship, it's called enabling. When you can feel your energy start to shift and leave, and, and it is so precious, it's important to be able to mindfully slow yourself down and say, you know, I'm going to bring myself back to the truth of my being. That's why breathing, that's why Buddha, the Buddha said, now I'm breathing in, now I'm breathing out. Our breath can bring us back to it. But there are four really practical, wonderful, simple uh, resiliency practices that I want to share with you. And the first, there's two options within each one. The first practice is for physical resilience. And so the, the opportunity is you, you can stand up and take three steps, or you can raise your hands above your head for five seconds. One or the other. Stand up and take three steps. One, two, three. Or you can raise your hands. So try this with me. Raise our hands for five seconds. One, two, three, four, five. That simple little thing, like stretching, if you're on the airplane and you can't get out to move, you can do that, or you can actually get up and move down the aisle. They say that take at least three steps every hour. But, it, but to do that will boost physical resilience, is to not sit still longer than one hour. And every time you're sitting still, you're actually not sitting still, you're actually improving your heart, your lungs, and your brain. So it's a very simple practice to just realize, wow, I haven't done anything to, to boost my physical resilience. So I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to get up and I'm going to move three, three steps. I'm going to put my hands over my head for five seconds. So that's for physical resilience. Number two is snap your fingers. This is for mental resilience. Snap your finger 50 times or count backwards from 100 by 7. So let's do the finger snapping just to make it easy. All right? 50 times. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50. So what's the big deal with that? What they know, all this stuff is the scientists know now. And there's a great benefit at the end of this I'm going to share with you. So number one, we raise our hands for five seconds. That's physical resilience. Number two, we snap our fingers 50 times in tension or count backwards from 100 by 7. So it would be 93 and then it would be 86 and then it would be 79 and then it would be 72 and then it would be... Hey, you know what I mean. Okay. <laughs> I get down in the 60s. I, I, need a, I need a little piece of paper. But anyway, so what this does is mental resilience, it, it, it is a mental focus. See, our minds need to be trained. Because otherwise, they're just like a puppy running all over the place. Have you noticed that sometimes? A lot of thoughts. Our minds need to be trained. It creates discipline, determination, and it enhances willpower. And willpower is actually a muscle that we can develop. It gets stronger the more you use it. So tackling a tiny task, 
without giving up. Just a tiny task without giving up. You say, I don't have any willpower. I got some treats for you in the back there, and some of you may not be able to pull up the willpower. You can use this today. But, but when you snap your fingers intentionally 50 times, you increase your level of willpower. It enhances your ability to, to match the agreements that you've made. Isn't that fascinating? It actually scientifically boosts our willpower to do a simple task to follow through. Then we move into emotional resilience. So emotional resilience to take us out of the spin. So when we're, we're in the spin of worry or concern, all these practices bring us back to ourselves. Emotional resilience. Find yourself inside a building. Find a window to look out. If you're outside the building, find a window and look in. Now, you might not want to do that over your neighbors late at night, but <laughs> you know what I mean, okay? You know what I mean. Just telling you. You know, don't be getting apprehended and saying, well, my minister said I should be doing this. <laughs> Appropriately. Or, uh, or going on Google. I used this a few weeks ago. But if you can go on Google and you can put in the search engine, images, favorite baby animals. It has the same effect. What it does is it creates a, a sense of love, a sense of connection. And what they have found, once again scientifically, if we can experience three positive emotions to every one negative experience, three to one, it, um, it will dramatically improve our health and our ability to tackle any problem we're facing. So if we find ourselves spinning in a negative idea or experience, it's imperative that we say, you know what, I've done that long enough, now I'm going to go over here. I'm going to Google favorite baby animals. I do it with my grandkids. I have a son, uh, grandson, Noah, and he has his own little private Facebook page. And so if I need a little bit of Noah, I just go and I look at Noah. And he's always got a cute little picture or whatever, or we have a granddaughter, Audrey, same thing. Those are, they're not my favorite baby animals, but they're my favorite babies. But this idea is, and, and so those simple practices can pull us out of that spin. It's that simple. But how many of us just stay, oh golly, my life's, you know, I lost this, or this isn't happening, or this is going on. And we can go on and on and on and on with that. And part of it, the reason I think it comes into our lives is because all of a sudden we realize, wait a minute, I don't have to run with that anymore. Look at all the, the blessings I have in my life. Like Charles was saying about the, the, this giving online thing, it's just when we give, when, we, when we, we take ourselves out of the spin of not enough to realize, you know what, it challenges me. It challenges us when we stretch into a new behavior. And there's a fulfillment that shows up. So physical resilience, putting our hands above our heads for five seconds. Or stand up, take three steps. Mental resilience, snapping our fingers 50 times, setting that intention, building the willpower. Simple, simple. Get up in the morning, feel like you can't get it done. Well, I know I can snap my fingers 50 times. Let's get the on-ramp going here to build into that. Emotional resilience, looking in the window or looking out the window, depending on where we are. Or Googling something that lifts us up. And the last one, which I'm going to invite you to do right now, is if you shake someone's hand for six seconds, or, and this is going to be easier for us, six seconds to shake someone's hand, or you send a thank you by text, Facebook or Twitter. Either one. But each day, to thank somebody. Thank you so much for just being you. I'm so grateful that you're in my life. Thank you. You know, I, I didn't want to pass this up with Charles to thank him. That's part of the practice. Thank you, Charles, for doing that. Thank you to our, our greeters and ushers today. Thank you for our beautiful musicians showing up today. 
And those things, are, those things are sincere from my heart, but all those little things are so important. So try shaking somebody's hand for six seconds right now. All right. So what happens with that what happens with that, there's a physical shift that happens with that. That's why it's one of the things about when we get together at the beginning, if you hold the person's hands and look in their eyes, we're actually doing that. And what it does is it raises the level of oxytocin in our brain, which is the trust hormone in our bodies. So there's a, physio- a physiological shift that takes place. And so it, it, and what it does is biochemically, we, we, we align with one another. We come together. We want to help one another. It's one of the ways we need one another. That's why community is so important. We want to help one another. And the great thing about this is this lingers. So if you have a multi-level marketing opportunity that you'd like to share with the person that you just held their hand for six seconds, you've got a better chance of getting them into your downline, if you know what I mean. It creates a, a it, it equates, and no, I didn't do it for that, by the way. Once again, that is not permission, but I'm just saying what it does is there's a resonance that gets created. On average, people that do these practices every day consistently live 10 years longer than other people. They have now measured this. You add every day that you do these four resiliency practices, you add seven and a half minutes to your day, to your time upon the planet. And over time, they have found on average it's 10 more years. So if you're not interested in living 10 more years or whatever you do, don't do these practices. But I think many people are. And I think it's, it's, but isn't it interesting that our body has such beautiful intelligence and that our minds and that we can choose to do simple little things that we should probably be doing anyway or could do anyway that'll help us create that, that unified field so that we can act the change and feel the change and speak the change. To speak the change, is it, is it the language of love? And is it true to ask ourselves in the words of Byron Katie? To ask ourselves in certain situations when the heat gets turned up, am I the carrot, am I the egg, or am I the coffee? Is this come to make me more delicious? And I think it has. So blessings, and so it is.